Welcome to On Culture. On this podcast, we talk about culture and faith and the world and our place in it. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our work and explore all of our content on our website, theembassy.substack.com. Here's Mike. Welcome back to On Culture. I am Mike Sherman, your host for On Culture. I'm joined by Brad Aslan, pastor at Calvary Church. Hi, Brad. How are you doing? All right. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. On Culture is the podcast of the Embassy Substack newsletter, theembassy.substack.com. And uh, we are going to be talking about uh, something that... um, that pertains uh, directly to the last um, embassy dispatch uh, about uh, wisdom in a foolish time is the title and what that looks like uh, for us. And we'll be, Brad and I will be chatting uh, about that. Uh, And uh, if you want to find out more about uh, the embassy, just go to the embassy.substack.com and you see all of the, uh, all of the former dispatches and you can, subscribe you can subscribe for free uh or you can uh, free get you most things uh and a paid subscription gets you everything um so let's let's get started on this particular episode because uh, we're going to talk about wisdom and foolishness or wisdom in a foolish time and my starting point is this sort of um i mean i often start with something that annoys me even though i don't describe it that way but yeah, the uh, you know you'll see a lot of this stuff in whether it's motivational or self help or business advice or professional advice. Uh, hey, we need we need more of this and we need less of that. We need to stop doing this and we need to start doing that. It, instead of just saying, hey, we should we should try a little of this. You know, we kind of have to make it into some binary choice: this or that. You know, this is bad. This is good. Uh, and this is in all the way, you know, this is evil even. This is morally commendable. Anything that's not in this category is, well, it's the opposite of morally com- com- uh, commendable. There's nothing in between. And that seems to be the the world in which we live in. You know, I, I referenced, uh, you know, the controversy of last year, which I did actually wrote a, a, a dispatch, basically not giving my opinion on Johnny and Amber, but on the the notion that it seems like one has to be on one side or the other. Uh, and I think that's one example of we live in this world where it's, this is good, this is bad. And if, you know, if you're on one side, you, you are against the other. You can't kind of be on both or kind of be in the middle. Um, so do you see that too, Brad? And what do you think is going on there? Yeah. Um, well, one, I think it's hilarious. I, I think the last podcast i joined you for we were talking about johnny and amber and then in this right. uh well you're the expert uh, you know i'm calling uh, you in as the subject matter <laughs> expert <laughs> listen my mom might enjoy reading people magazine but i uh don't uh, uh oh we've outed your mom <laughs> oh my goodness oh, she'll, out her, she'll out herself <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know it's just interesting i think that we we naturally like linear things because there's a simplicity to it and we you know, when we're mm-hmm. presented with an either-or decision or choice, like that, that feels better, um, which is hard because even growth, right? It's not linear. It's it's um, yeah, it's more complex than that. And so we both want like a world that's simpler and more complicated at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's just human nature. 
Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, one of my, I think that is true. We tend to simplify. I mean, we automatically, we fill in the blanks, we connect the dots. We don't have to know every single fact about something to make up our mind. Uh, and that's obviously very helpful and necessary to live uh, in this world. I do think that as of late, meaning, you know, sometime during our lifetimes, we more and more sort of have lost the anchor, cultural anchors of, uh, you know, our story and our identity. Maybe we've lost the sense that people who are supposed to be in charge are really taking care of things that they're supposed to be in charge for. So now I have to decide about everything. Mm -hmm. I can't trust, you know, I can't trust, you know, the bankers or, or I can't trust the government or I can't trust, um, you know, public health officials. I have to decide. Um, and you know, there's a lack of, um, settledness in all of that, uh, instead of just sort of like, well, I don't really, I mean, whatever, I'll just, I don't need to, I don't need to decide about that. I can let others decide and move along. There's, I think a sense of, well, nobody's really doing, you know, Mm -hmm. nobody's really in charge of this. So I have to, you know, and so then that, I think that in this sense of, uh, an unsettledness about who we are in the story and unsettledness about, you know, our relationship even to God and to how he is really the answer to all the questions and connecting us to him is where they're found. Once you begin to lose all of that, I do feel like there's a bit of thrashing around in sort of, um, it may come across as anger, but I think behind it, there's a lot of just fear mm-hmm. about, man, this is a scary world to be living in now. And I'm going to react by being, you know, against this or for this, I'm going to make stake my claim here and here and here. I mean, that's kind of a meta, you know, metaphysical take on things, which I am prone to, I admit. Yeah. But I do think there's something to that. Well, we, I think we like to manage our fear with, um, again, simple choices, right? Like if you have an either or choice in front of you, then you feel like you're in control because you have to pick one or the other. And then what ends up happening is you end up having to pick everything that goes along with whatever that choice is. And then we try to mitigate that fear of, oh, have I chosen the the wrong option of the two by making my outrage or my, um, you know, my buy-in to whatever that option was even more extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and in the process somehow – that feels, I think, for a lot of people, self-definitional. Mm-hmm. Um, these choices are defining who I am. Uh, I'm the person who is against this and against this and against this and for this and for this and for this. And that's, mm-hmm. I do think there's a sense in which, and I think that infects the church for sure. Like we should know who we are mm-hmm. uh, fundamentally. We should know who we are. But sort of forgetting that or loosening our grip on that, we can be subject to that same impulse around us. And then we have to find our identity by being the people who are angry at that, outraged at that, supportive, you know, blanket support of this. Uh, I think it's very, it's sort of almost addictive. It feels like once you start dipping your toe in that water, Mm -hmm. you kind of get sucked in. I mean, do you feel like there's people in your life that you know that sort of are deep into that pool oh absolutely um i mean like i guess the the reality of any conversation like this we have to be able to look ourselves in the mirror too and 
you know realize that even when we try to resist that urge like we we do that to, you know i might absolutely i mean that's right that. i think that's that's great insight that it, it hits all of us in some way yeah like think about like politics right i mean it's an easy you know left or right mm-hmm. like literally left or right um so you can have that extreme i have to choose one or the other and if i find myself in the middle then maybe more often I, you know, I'm taking the apolitical route and now I'm making it either or where both the extremes of the left and right are in one camp and I'm the one that's going to sit above mm-hmm. or beyond. Right. And so I'm just right. doing the exact same thing that, that they're doing. Right. Right. Yeah. There is a temptation to just be a variation on that same theme. Um, so I definitely think that, uh, and I do think it, we live in a world, I mean, let's face it, where a lot of revenue is generated off this sort of impulse via mm-hmm. clicks and eyeballs on social media or even just viewing, you know, television shows or ratings and things like that. Things that appeal to our our own personal club and our own personal fears and outrages are, you know, are monetized. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of incentive for people to continue to do that. Yeah, which seems to accelerate uh, the trend. Um, but even I think in areas where that's not the case, where it's not necessarily monetized, um, or it's or indirectly, I I think about a lot of theological discussions, mm-hmm. uh, which, um, you know, I don't know the theological discussions were always like super pretty and and wonderful, um, but I do think that uh, no, of I think late about the and discussion... with social. You think about the discussion that uh, Luther and Zwingli had over the Lord's Supper uh, back. Right. One, one, one of them wanted to kill the other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they fought. We fought wars, obviously, we fought wars. Uh, religious yeah. wars, uh, the Hundred Year Wars after the after the Reformation, and um, so a lot of ugly things. So, um, you know, but then I think we feel like, okay, well, now we're more civilized. We understand. We're beyond all of that, um, and. We can, uh, I think even, um, I don't know when the promise keeper started. I think there was sort of a, a, a movement in evangelicalism, which was, has always been pretty splintered. Uh, you know, I don't know how many different denominations there are in the Protestant world, but it's a lot. It's mm-hmm. many, it's many, many, many. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't really a lot of ecumenical of anything. In fact, ecumenical was probably a, a, a dirty word. But then there were things that began to draw people together. Um, so whether, whatever you thought of Promise Keepers, that obviously was a movement that spanned all sorts of denominations. And then even things like the Willow Creek Association or uh, Acts 29 um, or things like that, that you know kind of drew different churches in and in a sense emphasized the points of agreement and de-emphasized the points of disagreement. Uh, and I feel like in the last 10 years, that's really sort of reversing itself. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do feel like there's much more of the splintering online where it's takes and it's, you know, 180 opposed and name calling and so on. Um, and it feels like it's the same sort of thing. Uh, just, you know, it's not even that different from the political takes, really. Uh I don't think. Oh, and a lot of times it's actually the same because it is, you know, a lot of times it is politically motivated. There's a lot of times power, it is politically motivated. Power motivated. And, right. Yeah. 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 And I don't know. I do think there is an interesting conversation to be had 
uh, maybe we'll have it right now, uh, about like, what do we do with these theological issues that are not, what do we do with the fact that not all theological issues are completely black and white and completely crystal clear? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even saying that probably somebody listening probably begins to feel a little uncomfortable. Uh, and all I mean by that is, you know, in the E-Free Church uh, that we've been associated with, there's kind of this majoring on the majors, minoring on the minors, you know, uh, and essentials, there's agreement on, uh, and in essentials, there's charity. That's sort of the, and the idea that there are things that um, aren't as essential and the Bible doesn't spend as much time on them or maybe very not very much time at all on them. And it's just not super clear. Uh, and I do think that notion makes people really uncomfortable. Some people really uncomfortable. Now, some people love it, but I think a lot of people don't love it or they don't, they kind of love part of it and don't love part of it. So what's your take on Yeah, on like that? they want, you just want it simple. You want it clear, you know, clear. What, what, what does the Bible say? Just tell me what to believe, what to think. I think we've lost the ability to nuance um, in, a, in a lot of in a lot of ways. I think of the you know the the proverb that you you shared in the the dispatch um, piece, but we've we forgot how to do that with like theology too. And I do think we all you also have to ask the question: Okay, well, what is essential? What isn't essential? Um, at some point, someone's deciding. I think even one of the the things with our, our denomination, the E free, um, it's, just, it's it's kind of it's kind of comical in a way, and they've they've course corrected since. But you know, for a long time, it was hey, major on the major, minor on the minors, uh, except for these one or two very specific, yeah, uh, right. pre-trib yeah. rapture, right? Yeah, yeah, um, right, yeah. I do think that's right. There's always, and there, you know, there can be some discussion about what is essential i do think we have a couple thousand years of church history you know the apostles creed was basically that was an attempt Mm -hmm. to say here's the essential things that you must believe in order to be you know you can affirm these things you're a christian well the apostles creed isn't that long you know so there's a lot of other you know there's a lot of uh, variations uh, on Mm -hmm. that theme Uh, but that tells you that the effort to kind of define what's essential goes back a very, very, very long time. Um, uh, you, you know, that, the proverb, um, that you mentioned, I mean, we talk about wisdom really is required, like w- wisdom to have perspective and proportion about what is important and what is not, and not losing the forest for the trees. Um, that, that particular proverb, uh, the, the first one is Proverbs 26. Let me find it real quick. Yeah, 26, four. And it's, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. And I say, this seems wise. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't engage. Don't answer. If you get into it with a fool, you just look foolish. That's easy. That's clean, certain, a good rule for life. And if you want to stay in this happy state, don't read the next proverb, which is Proverbs 26, 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. And, you know, that seems also pretty wise. If you let a fool continue to spout foolishness, continue to think themselves wise, continue to do more damage to themselves and others, you have to address that folly from the fool so it won't continue or spread. And so answer a fool and don't answer a fool. It depends. That 
sometimes, and there's wisdom in knowing the difference of should I answer or should I not answer? Is this foolishness? Is this not? You know, those proverbs are not, it's not accidental that they're back to back mm-hmm. uh, in the wisdom sayings. That, pro- and especially proverbs are like that. They're proverbial sayings that these are wise things, but it takes wisdom to apply them. And well, I think this the... sense that it takes, it takes wisdom to know what's essential, you know, in other words. Yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, the, the classic definition of wisdom, right? The skill in the art of godly living. Um, mm-hmm. You have to be able to know when to apply um, and to new situations that the, the Bible doesn't even necessarily speak speak to. Um, how do you apply yeah. wisdom um, yeah, to a variety of, of new things? Just this morning, Mike, I was had breakfast with a friend, and uh, he had asked to have breakfast because he was trying to work out uh, election and free will. Um, so, you know, we started the day with a fairly dense classic uh, case. Yes. Dense thing. But but it was great. And we w- the conversation we had was, you know, essentially you have one one train of thought here and another here. And yet um, the kind of the case I was making is, is even with this, like, you know, Calvin Arminian debate, like they're not even opposed. Right. Because there is, you know, the Bible is very clear. There's human agency and human responsibility. And yet God is also sovereign. And so, like. Even within those frameworks, um, it's a very classic, obviously, you know, this or that. Uh, we have to be able to nuance and, I think, live within the mystery of, of the gospel that this thing that God is doing, this story that we find ourselves in is is mysterious, it is robust, and nuance is required. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that is uncomfortable for, for some mm-hmm. people, and I do think that it's okay to recognize why it's uncomfortable because as you said i mean it's much easier to say well just tell me what the right answer is just tell me what just take in other words take the mystery out of it for me uh i don't want to hear take the mystery out take the the requirement for faith out you know give me certainty on all of these points Mm -hmm. and then i'll be happy but that's just not it's called the faith for a reason it's not called Mm -hmm. the the you know the certainties mm-hmm. <laughs> uh that would be a bad name but um <laughs> i just think there's just recognizing the fact that yeah we're fallible god does explain some things <clears throat> in pretty plainly you know uh, who we are where we came from the condition that we're in our need for him his plan to address that need his love for us the response that we can have, how we then are supposed to live together, generally speaking, where we're going, what our mission is, all of those are pretty clear, right? Mm-hmm. You know, things that like uh, that are, are interact with um, theology, and you know, most things do in some ways, but aren't quite as clear in our time. You know, uh, just make us a lot more uncomfortable, and uh, churches have tended to divide over over those things and become, well, you're wrong. So Mm -hmm. I can't associate with, instead of we agree on all the important things. Uh, we disagree on some other things, but it's not as clear. So I'm okay if I'm wrong or I'm okay if you're wrong. That, I mean, there's a sense at which that is often pitted against stand for the truth. Don't you stand Mm -hmm. for the truth? Mm -hmm. Uh, and what do you think is behind this, uh, the, the call to stand for the truth? Well, it feels like you're doing something, you know, in the midst of your confusion or uncertainty, you're, mm-hmm. you know, 
what do you call it, a stand. Like, that. that's action. Right. Um, it feels like right. you're always doing right. something. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a certain response in an uncertain world. And I do think we have to stand for the truth of the essentials of the faith and not to compromise those. Uh, but to stand for something that I'm not a thousand percent sure that the Bible's clear about, and I might be wrong about in a way that divides me from my brother or sister, I actually think then the essential of unity is being compromised for my own preference mm-hmm. for certainty. Mm-hmm. And when is that the case? Well, we need wisdom actually mm-hmm. and humility and prayer and, you know, somehow offering up this notion that I might be wrong about this and it's okay if I am, uh, you know, I'm still a child of God. I'm still in the community of faith, all of this stuff. And I think we live in a world that really discourages that yeah. um, so much. Uh, it almost name well, calls you well, know, and against I think it. For the, for the church, a lot of these things that, you know, stand for the truth or don't stay, you know, whatever, um, a lot of times they get tied into, um, you know, these other social conversations. Um, and, you know, think about uh, women in leadership in the church. Um, you know, you think about just progressivism in, in general. And so then now you have these like cultural sins that we don't want to be accused of. And they become these definitional things for us where we're defining what we are by what we aren't. And um, so we see that, in the, we see that in the church and we see that on social media and it just plays into the, yeah, the outrage culture of everything else. Yeah. And that sort of speaks to, I mean, one of the things that's behind some of this is, the foundational, you know, Christian belief that whatever, however the church decides about, let's say, the issue of women in leadership of the church, that we are not the source of truth, that the sort God is the source of truth. You know, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That truth has been transmitted through us through Scripture, and we've been given the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Scripture. And it's in wrestling with that that we decide the the issue. And uh, there can be honest disagreement about what the scripture says, you know, on that issue is one of many. Um, and, but it's not, uh, it you know, it doesn't necessarily give a moral judgment against a person for coming to one conclusion vis-a-vis the scripture as opposed mm-hmm. to another conclusion vis-a-vis the scripture and that's sort of the thing like i'm not deciding this i'm trying to figure out what god has has decided even if i don't understand it you know even if i don't doesn't make a lot of sense to me because there's lots of things about the faith that don't make a ton of sense to me Mm -hmm. but that's because we don't have the whole picture you know we're in this story in which there's a lot of information an eternity past and eternity future that we don't have access to and we're finite and he's infinite and all of that together. It's like, I'm not sure he's really, uh, you know, he's not necessarily calling me to be the source of truth on this. He's calling me to rely on him as the source of truth and to submit myself to that truth, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the issue is that it becomes then personal. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the kind of person who this, you're the kind of person who that, which, you know, whatever it might be, depending on the person. But the whole idea of the church is we are not the source of truth. We're, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the students of the truth. We've been gracious, graciously given the truth. And so we're not the, um, you know, we're not the, the, 
people don't come to us to get our direct truth. They should come to us to get God's truth through us Mm -hmm. in a way that we don't mess it up too much. Mm -hmm. And I think in, you know, in that, again, I think it's because we lose our place in the story. We lose who we are that we kind of lose our anchor. And then we're sort of like, Oh, what do I think of this? Well, that's not the right question. You know, what do I think of, you know, the death penalty or, all of these other issues that divide. Well, I mean, I, I don't need to think one way or the other. My thinking needs to be uh, in line with what I believe God is telling us in the Bible. And, it, you know, that's, that's at least the, the, the view in our Christian tradition. And we, we accept that in a hundred other ways, including salvation and all sorts of things. But when it comes to some other issues, we kind of need to feel like I have to have a truth and that truth identifies me in a certain way but that's a very cultural mm-hmm. that's a very i mean that's a that's one way in which the culture this culture is impacting us we're being impacted by it in that way mm-hmm. like how can you think that well that's this is how i can think it this is a, i believe this is what the bible is saying and if if we want to have a conversation we have to include that in there mm-hmm. yeah and i don't you know tell me if you don't want to go in this direction with it but one of the things i i think is fascinating is how you know we're a very individualistic culture and yet we've allowed our identity to be pretty wrapped up in in group um identity so it is an issue you know when you go to the bible uh it was written to a you know a a, a people who were um, very communal um whose identity mm-hmm. was wrapped up in the group that's why baptism was so um mm-hmm. you know was so radical and yet the reality is, is we, we do that too, you know, where our, my identity is going to be in whatever group, um, thinks a certain way. And I'm just going to subscribe to that. And yet it becomes an, a very individual thing, uh, for me too. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's an individualistic way in which we group select and then we opt out. Oh, I, this group now does this and I'm, you know, I'm getting out of it. Like I'm completely in charge of all of these things instead of, well, I'm, I'm placed in this group because of God's action in my life and I don't really have the option of getting out Mm -hmm. Uh, just like I'm in a family just like whatever so how do I honor him in this group and how do I try to move the group in a more godly direction those are all questions but I think this group has cooties or you know being in this group makes me look bad to other people that might be true but I don't yeah. think that's a biblical reason to disassociate from Mm-mm. from a group. And I, I understand it completely. There's a lot of, you know, deconversions and so on that happen that basically are that reason. Like, I don't want to be in this group anymore. These people are, you know, this and that and the other. And a lot of that objections are based in fact or based in at least, you know, there's episodes that support a lot of that. But that's just not what the church is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like the health club. Uh, or Costco that you can join or not. Right. I'm like I'm going to Sam's Club. You know they don't have my, you know, the peanuts I like anymore here or whatever. They're seasonal. It, you know it's hard for us to think of it in a different way, but it, it, that's not the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's right on. Well, um, I I do want to end with uh, a little Harry, uh, <laughs> Harry and Megan. Because uh, I do think it plays in with, uh, I don't think we touched on this yet. Like at the at the end, there's the take of, I don't really know. I mean, I haven't been totally following other than it's hard to miss. I was yeah, watching 60 the, Minutes. What's the controversy? It seems like half the, well, 
uh, Harry. You're probably is, the wrong is, person to have yeah. on a podcast to talk yeah. about Harry. And I th- well, he separated himself from the royal family, and then right. he's he's now he's now making all of the reasons for that very public. And you know whether he's right or wrong, I don't know. And you know I'm not going to know, and I'm totally fine with that. Uh, as I said, I don't have it have to have a take on it. But I do think there is a sense in which this certainty plays into it, uh, in the sense that, um, you know, he has a narrative, he has an explanation of his situation mm-hmm. that is all it explains everything, and his narrative explains everything. It simplifies and it's and it gives mm-hmm. certainty. To, this is what's going on, mm-hmm. and it's one example of which. Um, you know, he has a narrative that explains everything and absolves him of all blame, I believe, uh, in his mind. Um, and I would just say as a takeaway from that, anytime you have a narrative that explains everything, it's not, it's not very, it's not very good. <laughs> you know, if it explains every, if it explains all possible data is explained by my narrative, then your narrative really isn't, um, you know, isn't very good because, you know, you're, you know, you're, uh, you've already pre-decided you're right. It's just a matter of like uh, what part of the story I applied to my being right. Uh, and I th- it feels like that's just another version of this sort of thing of, I already know my side is right. So depending on what you say, I'm right because of this or I'm right because of that, but I, well, I'm not even really talking about the issue anymore. Yeah. And you know, right. Cause I've joined this side. And so I, everything else is decided about the sides. Uh, and I just think yeah. that's one more cultural example of it. Yeah, and I think it's hard, like as Christians, because this is where I think humility is required. This is where grace is required. Um, we can very easily do that with our faith and make it. Oh, I've already decided. Like, it doesn't matter what someone's going to say. I'm going to change my, you know, because we have the right answer. And um, so, there's some, so I guess, Mike, like, what would you say to that? I mean, because because that would be, a, I think, a, yeah. a, a challenge to this meta narrative that we find ourselves in. The story that we're in is somebody outside of that story, um, you know, would, would would challenge and poke and say, "Well, aren't you mm-hmm. just, you know, a hypocrite for for that?" Yeah, yeah, and I think it's I think it's fair to say uh, we are, are are often hypocritical. I am sometimes hypocritical. I do think the, the smaller I can draw that circle of the of the essentials, it's easier yeah. for me to represent that in a way that doesn't kind of associate with sort of political stance or whatever. Um, and so I think there's there's a sense in which we have to be comfortable with, um, you know, a lot of the reasons that people have deconverted uh, or deconstructed their faith is they look at you know, they grew up in a home where a thousand things had to be equally true or everything came crashing down. And then, of course, everything did come crashing down uh, because it, you know, because nuance was needed or because this didn't work anymore. You're and so, to do something that um, do. right, right. And so I think that's the, the, you know, once we, you know, this is what the faith is, you know, this is the, the essentials of the faith. There is mystery, there is nuance, there's uncertainty humility is required of me well now the response to that is going to be much softer than if i'm condemning harsh certain angry then you can understand why people respond uh to people in the church in that way and they don't want to be they don't want any part of that and you know jesus had lots of harsh words for the pharisees who epitomize 
you know, the I'm right and everyone else is wrong approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, it's an example of how that can that definitely inf- affect us and infect us. Um, so, I mean, I do think that, to, you know, to kind of maybe close with the biblical example, I think of the weaker brother who, you know, the one person might actually be right about eating the meat sold in the market, but he's willing to not have to be right with his brother who doesn't want to eat the meat sold on the market. Like he's right about the meat. It's fine. But the other brother doesn't want to eat and feels his conscience would be threatened. So he is able to let go in humility of being right for the sake of his brother. And that seems to be something we've just Mm. completely forgotten about. Mm. Uh, And so maybe with that, uh, with that note, we'll, we'll bring this plane uh, to a landing Uh, and you know, what's required to land it here humility, uh, a recognition of mystery, a recognition of our own limitations, a recognition of our need of grace, and then the necessity of offering grace to others. Um, So with that, let's call it a podcast. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, well, I think I should re, you know, rethink. My mom's birthday is this weekend. I'm pretty sure we're giving her the Harry autobiography, so. Are you? (laughs) I think so. You know what? She'll love it. She will. She'll definitely love it. She will eat it up. Uh, all right. I don't know. That's an uncertain landing, but you know, <laughs> let's just do it that. With you know, Prince Harry and grace and peace to all. You've been listening to On Culture, a podcast of the Embassy newsletter. Have a question? Send it to the Embassy at Substack.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.